Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2020, Children's Urban Fantasy. One chapter a day, up until Christmas. Chapter 2. Catch Up. James was not having a good weekend. In fact, he couldn't remember the last time he'd had a good one. Most of Sunday had been taken up looking round some interminably boring school and politely nodding while his parents made boring observations. Yes, the sports facilities were excellent. Yes, the smaller class sizes would accelerate his learning. Yes, the uniform looked smart. Actually, the uniform at this school looked ridiculous. They wore long gowns and long socks, even at the weekend. Another day wasted by touring a private school or public school, whatever they were called, somewhere that his parents could pay lots of money for the privilege of making James unhappy at, all because of the virus and lockdown affecting his education. He had tried to convince them that he was catching up perfectly well at Patcham, but they had other ideas. It didn't help that his mum had had another promotion at her job in the city. I liked it, she said on the way home. That's my favourite one so far. You go there then, James muttered from the back seat. Don't be rude, James, his dad said, turning round from the passenger seat. And she couldn't go there. It's an all-boys school. Even worse, James said. I'm getting on fine at Patcham. I don't want to have to make new friends. And what would I have in common with posh kids in wizard robes? You're good at making friends, his mum said. And you saw how it worked there. If there's more lockdowns, then Patcham could close again. At St. Thomas's, the boarders are in one big bubble. They can isolate at the school and continue their studies. You're about to start your GCSEs, and I think you need more than extra evening tuition. James bit his lip and looked out of the window at a high hedgerow morphing into a bare-branched tree tunnel. There was nothing about going to a posh boarding school that appealed to him. He liked his current school friends and sleeping in his own bedroom. The only upside was that it would mean the end of his regime of private tuition every evening. He sighed. Private tutors and boarding school. A few months ago, he wouldn't have dreamed of either. He wished that everything could go back to normal. Nothing was normal anymore. By the time they got back to Brighton, James only had a few minutes before his English tutor arrived. An hour of English, then dinner with his parents, then just enough time to get his school homework done before bedtime. Up in his room, he quickly checked his netbook while he picked up his pencil case. There was a direct message waiting for him. It was from Jenny. He reached out a finger to open it. James, his dad's voice called from downstairs. Miss Blandford's here. James shut the netbook and dragged himself down to the kitchen table. Two hours later, he was done with study and done with talking to his parents. There was only so much of great expectations and school prospectus talk he could manage. He skipped dessert, loaded the dishwasher as quickly as possible, and practically ran up to his bedroom. The most likely reason for Jenny to message him on a Sunday night was to remind him about something happening at school tomorrow. Even the mundanity of remembering his PE kit felt like an exciting distraction from the day's events. He flipped up the lid of his netbook, then checked around his room for his sports shorts while he waited for the chat message page to appear. His PE shorts and T-shirt were stuffed down the side of his empty washing basket. They would have to wait until next weekend to be washed. He dropped them on top of his school bag. The old netbook finally woke back up. 
There was a little green circle next to Jenny's username. She was online. He started a voice call and she accepted. I got my PE kit ready, he said. What? she said sharply. Your message, he said, doubting himself. It wasn't about PE tomorrow? Have you actually read it? Anyway, PE is on Wednesday this week. He opened her message and started to read. A dog stole your badger stone, he said, looking down at his matching wristband. A dog? Did it bite it off? It used its paws. I wasn't expecting it. And there's something about these new dogs that's very undog-like. James was half reading and half listening. Dogs? There were more. And who is the tattooed woman? Jenny gave a sigh and went through the whole story while James read along. I think the tattooed woman sent the dog to steal your badger stone, James said. But why would she give it back? And how did she know I was wearing it? The dog looked scared when the woman came out. I don't think it was stealing for her. Jenny was right. No one knew about their special wristbands except for them. And the badgers. What did the woman say to you? Just that I was lucky. Oh, I've remembered. She also mentioned the number. 373. It looked like she read it on the strap. Hang on. There was silence at the other end for a moment. I just pretended it was my locker number. But it's here, scratched into the leather. I've never noticed it before. Let me check mine. James undid the strap on his and looked at the underside. It was plain leather. There's nothing on mine. The little dog must have scratched it somehow. It could be a message, but I've no idea what it means. The woman must have sent the dog after you, James said, to follow you home. She must have recognised the badger stone. That's what I thought. Lucky there was an angry cat in the neighbourhood. Lucky your paranoia got the better of you, you mean, James said. You were already hiding in the bushes when the cat arrived. Paranoia? It wasn't paranoia that put a wig on a dog. I've never seen a dog wearing a wig before. James didn't answer. He was thinking. Are you still there? Jenny asked. Yeah. This definitely feels like an adventure. And you know, he paused, it might be my last one. Once I'm stuck at some posh boarding school in the middle of nowhere, the most adventurous thing I'll be doing is getting lost on the way to Latin class. You should have seen the place we looked at today. They wore gowns and long yellow socks, and there was an ancient chapel in the school grounds. Looked like something out of a film. Think your parents are going to go through with it, Jenny said. Remember when your mum got that new job and you were going to move to Germany, but it never happened? That was different. The decision's been made regardless of what I think, and I can't do anything about it. He opened the big desk drawer and reached to the back, where a wooden box was hidden behind some old exercise books. If this circus is up to no good, I want to be ready for it. It might not be a good idea to take any of the special keys to the park, Jenny read his mind. That tattooed woman seems to know more than she should. We probably should avoid the park altogether. James heard a knock at the door. Time for bed. He arranged with Jenny to meet up the following day on the way to school, and they ended the call. He opened the wooden box. It was no bigger than a thick novel, but contained a number of magical artefacts, most notably the bones of Kerberos, three keys that could open secret doors around town. The silver nib caught his eye. It was next to a scrap of paper with a Chinese symbol drawn on it. It was part of the key to the air, and he had used it exactly once before during a showdown with a devious adversary the previous Christmas. At the time, he had used it without fully understanding what it did. Now it was time to find out exactly how it worked.
It was the time of year when walks to school started in the half-light and could be either cold or damp or a combination of the two. James zipped up his coat and popped a crust of toast into his mouth as he hurried to the top of the road. As he feared, Jenny was already waiting, perched on a garden wall. It looked like she had been there a while. "'Sorry I'm late,' he said. "'I was early,' she said, getting up from the wall. "'I wanted to take another look at the circus and see if any stray dogs started following me.' They set off up the hill. James resisted the temptation to look around. "'I thought you said we should avoid the park.' Did you notice anything? I think so, but I can't be sure. I only went to the path nearest the big top, and I didn't walk back past my road. I took London Road and then cut straight up to the top of yours. You avoided your road to avoid any cats? James asked. You want to be followed. I don't want them to know where I live, but following us to school's fair game. There was a junction ahead where they would have to turn left onto Surrenden Road. A black cat was sitting on a front garden path, licking the back of a paw. Look, James said quietly. Let's see what happens, Jenny said. We can watch from the far corner after we cross the road. The cat looked up at them as they passed it. Not unusual animal behaviour. The two children had to wait for a couple of cars before crossing. There was a shriek from behind. James turned in time to see the black cat chasing a smaller creature under a car then over the car, across the road, and between two houses. Wow, James said. I guess nothing's following you now. Us. Nothing's following us. We're nowhere near my road. I think that cat was waiting for you, not me. They crossed over and kept walking. Jenny was right. Either every cat in town had decided to turn the tables on stray dogs, or certain cats were waiting in certain spots for certain dogs. Why would the cats be looking out for us? James asked. I mean, we're not exactly friends with the locals. The last time I saw the Empress of the Seven Dials, she double-crossed me and it almost destroyed the town. Perhaps she hates these new dogs more, Jenny said. She sided with the pigeons once to get rid of her own cousin. That was true. The Empress had no qualms about changing her allegiances. Not if it meant more power for her. That dog was not very dog-like, James said. I didn't get a great look at it, but I've never seen a dog jump over a car like that. I definitely want to see one up close. By the time they got to school, James had decided he wanted to pay a visit to the new circus as soon as he could. Jenny was less enthusiastic and again warned about taking any special magical items anywhere near the circus. They chatted about it all the way to the main entrance, where the new rules meant they had to part ways. The school's coronavirus containment plan had split each year group in half and confined it to its own set of corridors. James and Jenny were not in the same half as each other, which meant they wouldn't get many opportunities to talk again until after school. Except that Jenny had dance practice, so they would have to chat later online. Strict seating plans were being used in each lesson, which as well as being a good way of tracking any viral spread, also meant that there were less distractions in class. James felt that he had learned more in the last few weeks than in the whole of the previous year. And he didn't mind. School was going well. At the end of the day, he left school quickly and took London Road all the way back to Preston Park. There was a chill breeze in the air, and he dug his red woolly hat out of his coat pocket and put it on. It was not unusual for travelling circuses to set up on the lower playing fields of Preston Park. 
Every year, in fact, the whole park was given over to a weekend of partying and music as part of the town's pride celebrations. The current occupant of the football pitch, however, was the most run-down excuse for a circus that James had ever seen. The Big Top was not much larger than a family tent, and from a distance looked as though it might have spent time as a toilet tent at a muddy music festival. It was surrounded on three sides by a number of many-wheeled lorries and caravans that were at least fifty years old. One of the lorries would have not looked out of place in the London to Brighton veteran car rally. The vehicle number plates were foreign or ancient and sprayed with enough road dirt and mud to be unreadable. There was a trailer with a huge empty cage on it, the sort that might have held a lion or tiger parked behind the rest of the encampment. James got within about fifty feet of it before cutting a wide arc around the big top. He completed a full loop and saw nothing. No people, no strange dogs, no movement, nothing of interest at all. Feeling bold, he slipped between two battered caravans and did a close circuit of the tent itself. Shabby as it was, it was well erected with sturdy ropes, and any rips and tears in the red and white canvas had been neatly stitched. There were no gaps or flaps through which to peek inside. He wasn't even sure where the entrance was. Partly disappointed and partly relieved, he walked away from the circus and up the gentle sloped field to the clock tower. It was a good-sized red-brick tower nestled among the nearly bare trees at the back of the park. There was still at least half an hour of daylight, which gave him plenty of time for his secondary objective, learning more about the key to the air. The metal fence that had been around the clock tower for the last couple of years had been taken down. James sat at the top of the stairs that led up to the tower and opened his bag. Despite Jenny's warnings, he had brought the wooden box with him, and figured he was far enough away from the circus to be safe, and there was no one else nearby. From inside the wooden box, he pulled out a golden-brown feather and held it between his fingers. It was the other part of the key to the air. When the silver nib was attached to it, it could open up a portal in the air itself. After one last look around, just in case, he tucked the feather into his hat and waited.